good morning everybody welcome once again to our sunday morning digital cathedral and i have to tell you right up front this morning i'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about and teaching this morning we're going to get down to some nuts and bolts some very foundational ways that you and i can manifest as sons and daughters of god let me ask you let me ask you four or five questions about that when you hear the term manifested son or manifested daughter of God, what do you think of? What, what do you, number two, what do you see in your mind's eye? How do you, how do you visualize that? What, how do you imagine being on a practical basis, an everyday basis, how do you visualize being a manifested son of God? Question number three, is this something that's for everybody or just a select few? Is manifesting as a son, a daughter of God, is it for all of us or is it just for a few selected people that have a special call in their life? Question number four, what does a manifested son of God do? Now this might surprise you, the things that we're gonna talk about this morning as to what actually comprises the visibility of a manifested son of God. What does it actually look like? And then question number five, how does somebody begin to manifest as a son of God? That's probably a sticking point with a lot of people. We don't know how to start. We don't know where to begin. We hear that term. We hear a lot of teaching on it. We hear it, it banished about. It's kind of a buzzword right now, manifesting as sons and daughters of God. How do you start the process? I'll be honest with you. Those are five questions that I have spent a lot of time thinking about. I've spent a lot of time meditating and rolling them over in my mind, pondering, reading, uh, visualizing. And I feel like, I always say this to you because I, I think it's so true. I'm dealing with a first wave of people here at the Digital Cathedral. I'm dealing with the first people that are off the boat and we're hitting the beach and we're the first line onto the, onto the battle, into the battle and manifesting as sons of God. So I, I believe that you're here because you have come through this portal of grace, most of us have, We've been awakened, we've had an, a, a, an epiphany, a revelation of what grace is all about, what the finished work of the cross is about, what unconditional love is about, what mercy that endures forever, what that looks like. And so we're now at a point where we're be ready to begin to manifest as Paul and Timothy did to other people as sons of God. I wanna, I wanna read this morning, we're gonna look at Philippians chapter two. Uh, for our main text today. This is where we're at in our study. But I want you to begin to think with me along the lines of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Man, oh man, if there's anything Paul ever, ever taught to be strong in, it was in the grace of God, right? And he says in verse 2, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... He said, I want you to commit those things that you've heard from me. I want you to commit them to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul's saying, look, I'm manifesting, Timothy, I'm manifesting sonship to you. Now, the things that you have seen and heard in me, I want you to begin to manifest them to other men who in turn will manifest them to other faithful men. Then he says in verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So Paul is, Paul is giving this line of succession of what manifestation of the sons of God should produce. It should produce a continuity that gets stronger 
as it's passed down from, from generation to generation. And a generation in, in the manifest, manifesting of the sons of God doesn't have to be 40 years. It can just be from person to person, from Paul to Timothy to faithful men who teach others also. That's four, that's four generations right there. So the, the Pauls and the Timothys are the ones that are evolving today. You and I are the Pauls and the Timothy. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a Paul to you. Uh, you're kind of a Timothy to me. You show up on Sunday morning, we come together, I teach, you learn, and then hopefully you pass along to others what you're learning here at the Digital Cathedral. And then those that we teach, as we mature and uh, help them to grow in this, they'll be able to teach other faithful men who'll then begin to teach others also. But the point I want to make is this. You're at the front lines of what's going on. No question about that. I like to, I like to press that on you from time to time because you need to keep that, you need to keep that uh, realization at the front of your mind that you are on the cutting edge. You are on the front lines. Now, you're a special breed of people. If I were a betting man, I bet many of you that have awakened to grace, that have had your eyes enlightened, that you've come this far in the journey, I bet that you have lived, listen, see if this isn't true, I bet there are other areas in your life that you have lived on the cutting edge of. I bet this isn't the first time that you have found yourself out on the end of the spear. I bet you've always been, many of you have always been that one that's been a little bit of the rebel, the one that went against the, the, the mainstream of things, the one who was always a little bit questioning, wondering why we have to do it that way, and you didn't, uh, you didn't put up with, well, we've always done it that way, that didn't satisfy you. So you were one that went a little bit against the ebb and the flow, and you've wanted to dive deep into the things of the Lord, and so you're here now, you're here, right here you're at. But that, that little bit of that, that edge that you have, and I know many of you and you've got it, that's part of your DNA. You've lived a life of conflict and overcoming. There have been things that have adversely affect you, maybe in business, maybe in life, in relationships, things that have, have really conflicted you, um, that have wanted to take you out, that have wanted to defeat you, but you've overcome them. You've overcome things time after time after time until this has kind of become a lifestyle. And what you've entered into now with this message is just what you have been prepared for to push against the ebb and flow of religion. So some of you have, have put up with a lot from your church, from family, from friends. It's cost you a lot to follow this message, but you've been prepared in other areas where you have also had to face conflict and you've overcome it. So when conflicts wage against you, it's, it's been the doorway, and you've proved this, it's been the doorway, the conflict has been the doorway into the next level of success, whether it's been uh, in business, maybe it's been in religion, maybe it's been uh, bringing you out of poverty into success. Uh, I could just go through a lot of areas that probably the conflict and the difficulties that you have faced, that you've overcome, and every time you overcome an obstacle, it builds confidence in the Christ that is in you that the next time you face one, you're going to be able to come out on, on the right side again, right? So the more that you win, the more you, you have the Christ consciousness that you can win. So we've developed this, you and I, 
And I, that's been my life too. I, I have to admit it. I have been one that is questioned. I've been one that has um, not always gone along with the general flow of things. Even back when I began in ministry, my church uh, didn't believe in wearing any jewelry. And I was the first young minister in my denomination to be ordained wearing a wedding ring. Now that sounds crazy, but no pastor wore a wedding ring because it was made of gold and, and we, they didn't believe in wearing any gold. And I remember well sitting on the, on the front row the night that I was ordained, wearing my wedding ring, of all things, wearing my wedding ring. And an old pastor, pastor I had a lot of respect for, he bent over the, he was behind me and he bent over and he said, son, he said, if I were you, I would take that wedding ring off. He said, that's gonna cost you your future in this church. It's gonna cost you your ability to rise in ministry. He said, it's not worth it. He said, take that wedding ring off. I didn't take it off. I refuse to take it off. There were other things that I've questioned that I've come against the ebb and flow of, and you have too, and it's prepared us. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so now we're walking out as a remnant. We're still in the minority, although it's tipping quick. The wave is growing. We're still, we're still in the minority of the sons and the daughters of God that are enforcing the victory of Christ. And when I say enforcing, we don't enforce by force. We enforce the victory of Christ by demonstrating the goodness of God. That's what leads men to change their minds. We enforce the victory of Christ by demonstrating the Christ that is in us. We live uh, his life as our life. That's how we enforce the victory of Christ. So we're developing in that. But now we've come to this next stage, we've come to this next level where we are, are desirous of living as Jesus lives in this present world. And that brings me up to the scripture that I want to look at this morning, which is Philippians chapter 2. And I want to look at the first uh, 11 verses. First 11 verses. And when I'm done today, listen to me very carefully. When I'm done today and you leave the digital cathedral, I want you to be very conscious of the fact that you are going to begin, if you're not already, you're going to begin to manifest as a son and a daughter of God. You're going to demonstrate your sonship and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how to begin that process this morning. So don't, don't cut me out. Stay till the very end of the teaching because uh, I'm gonna take you up to 30,000 feet, which I do a lot of times and give you a, a large overview of what I'm talking about. And then we're gonna zoom in on some practicals on how to put uh, boots on the ground to manifesting his sons and daughters so that when I'm done this morning, there will absolutely be no question in your mind that you can walk out into your world, into your culture, whatever it is, tomorrow, and you can begin to be Jesus in that world. We're gonna show, I'm going to show you how you can do it. And everything I'm going to show you is what Jesus did and what Jesus did you can do Every one of you that are watching me this morning here at the cathedral, you can do the things that I'm going to, to show you out of these first 11 verses of Philippians chapter two. So let's look at this. First thing Paul does in Philippians chapter two, the first four verses, he builds some unity. So let me back up in my Bible to Philippians chapter two. You might wanna follow along with this this morning. Philippians chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort, any love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. 
So the first thing Paul calls them, in, them into, and, and he's going to lay out some very progressive steps on how to manifest as a son. First thing he calls them into is saying, look, you need to get yourself in one mind. Didn't say theology, didn't say belief system. Get yourself of one mind. That you, the mind that you have is the mind of Christ. We need to, we need, we're, we're all going to vary a little bit in some of the things we believe, but we need to have the emphasis and, and, and the desire to demonstrate the mind of Christ wherever we go. This is going to work into how we manifest. Verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. So the first thing that Paul does in the second chapter of Philippians is he calls for unity. And so this is my challenge to you today. I'm calling you to unity. We have to understand that we're part of something that's bigger than us. We're part of something that is bigger than our church or our denomination. We're, we're part of something that is, that is so big that you and I are going to have to lay down our self-interests. We're going to have to lay down our rights, okay? We're laying, as Jesus did, and we're going to read how G, what Jesus did in just a minute. He laid his rights down. He laid his self-interest down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, he said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister, listen, and to give my life a ransom for many. I didn't come to be ministered to. That has got to be, that has got to be the mindset we have, that we're not here to have others make over us. We're here to minister to the needs of other people and to give our life if need be, as Jesus did for a ransom. Now, our ransom is not going to redeem people, but our, our ransom is going to be the recognition in the lives of people of what they already, already have. So Jesus is the pattern son in this first part of manifesting, which is to lay down his life. He demonstrated who he was by serving. Right? Now get that very fixed in your mind. We demonstrate sonship by serving. This one verse, this one verse, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, separates, separates the technots, the teenagers, the, the ones that are immature, the ones that are selfish, the ones that have to have their own way, it separates them from the weases, from the mature sons. This one verse, I didn't come to be ministered to. I didn't come to have you serve me. I came to serve you. I'm serving you this morning. I'm taking my time to serve you the word that I see, the revelation I have. I'm taking my time to serve you. I, 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 all I want is for you to absorb it, to drink it all in. So this is the attitude you can't fake this attitude. You can't counterfeit it. You, you might for a little while. You can fool some people for a little while. When you come into a group, you want to appear like, you know, you're, you're a good guy, you're a good woman, you serve, you help. But if it's not really you, it doesn't remain. It doesn't stay that way. And your real character begins to come to the surface. So what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, is going to register on your, on your being as Jesus is, it's gonna register on that scale pretty big. It's going to register pretty large. Before Jesus ever died on the cross, he died to himself. <coughs> Excuse me. And so before you and I ever enter into what we have, we're gonna to have to die to ourself. And that means we serve even people that oppose us. Boy, this gets hard. We serve even people that have talked about us, slandered our name, 
post this on our Facebook comments uh, uh, that have talked about us behind our back. We serve even those people, and we all have them in our life, that just seem to take and take and take from us, and they never give anything in return. If, if you're to walk the walk of Jesus and talk the talk of Jesus, then pay close attention. Verse five, he calls them to unity, first four verses. Then in verse five, he says, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind, we're gonna explore that mind in just a second. The way that Jesus saw himself is the only accurate way that you can see yourself. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is how Jesus saw himself. So the only accurate portrayal you have of you is to see you like Jesus sees you. When that mindset matches, when, when how we see us matches how Jesus sees us, then his motivation becomes our motivation. But our motivation will never become his motivation until we see us like he sees us. And he sees us as he sees himself as being one who came to serve and not to be served. Now we're going to we're going to look in just a, a couple of minutes of what of what that motivation of Jesus really was and I'm going to give you six ways that you're going to be able to walk this out. You're going to see this is what Jesus this is what Jesus said about himself. He walked it out. And we're going to see that these are some things that we can also walk out ourselves. We'll look at that in just a couple of minutes some things that he plainly did in his earthly ministry. He told us. He told us exactly how to manifest as a son of God and it hasn't clicked yet. We, we thought it was over here in doing signs and wonders and miracles. That's not what it was about at all. So what was the mind of Christ? What was the mind of Christ? Notice it wasn't the mind of Jesus. He said, he, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Not Jesus, but Christ Jesus. And I think that order is important because Christ was the eternal spirit that took flesh form in the man Jesus. So what we want is this mind of the eternal spirit, right? And so he, he Paul tells us what that mind of Christ looked like. Here's how, here's how Jesus saw himself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He tells us in verse six, and this is mind blowing. And I know this is, this always causes disruption. And it causes people to get off into crazy things, but here's, here was the mind of Christ. Here's how Jesus saw himself. Verse six, who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Let me, let me read it for you word for word. Verse six, here's the mind of Christ. Verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. What was that mind? Verse six, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Being Jesus the man, all right, being Jesus the man, let me just separate the two for just a minute. They were inseparable, but let me just separate them for the sake of discussion. Being Jesus did not distract from his Christness, from his divinity. You being Billy or Bob or Susie or Mary does not detract from your Christness or your being a partaker of the divine nature, having the DNA of the Father flow through your veins. Jesus was equal in form and likeness. He was in the image of God. He developed likeness. You're in the image of God. You are developing likeness. 
the likeness of Christ. Paul said, I travail in birth until Christ is formed in you. Christ is the exact likeness that is, that is what is being hewn out, out within our lives. Uh, sometimes difficulties, conflicts, uh, things we engage in, circumstances, revelation that comes through the word, all those things are, are creating the likeness, right? The Christness in us. You're cut out of the same pattern as Jesus. You have the same divine nature as Jesus. Uh, uh, the same breath that the Father blew into the lungs of Jesus, he's blown into you. It's the breath of eternal life. The breath of the Father is the breath of eternal life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he blew the, blew the breath of eternal life into the lungs of Adam. And that's what Adam had forever, right? Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did, but he didn't walk around strutting. He didn't, he didn't walk around bragging about his divinity as though it were some supreme prize. He, he didn't say, look, guys, I've got it. You don't have it. I'm, I'm on the inside. You're on the outside. Uh, uh, Jesus was totally inclusive. He included all of us. He embraced all of us. In that day, you'll know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. What I have, you have. We're joint heirs together. So verses 7 and 8, he tells us how he manifested that identity as divinity. All right, so verse 5, mind of Christ. Verse 6, being in the form of God, he did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Then in verse 7 and 8, he's going to say, here's how he demonstrated it. Here's how it began to show itself. All right, so let's read this. Verse 7. Verse 7. Philippians chapter 2. He made himself of no reputation. This guy, this guy did not think it robbery to be equal with God. He was creating the image and the likeness of God. Verse Verse uh, six, he was in the form of God but and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but here's how he manifested. He made himself a no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So verse six was his identity verse. And verse 7 and 8 is how he manifested that identity as divinity. See, knowing who you are, knowing the position that you have, that, that verse 6 for you gives you security. It gives you authority. It gives you um, uh, knowing that your back is covered, that the Father has covered your back, so that you can, you can begin to demonstrate verse 7 and 8. He identified and manifested as a human. Now listen to me clear, carefully. He, he manifested as a human while fully reflecting and representing the Father. So let me, let me say it like this. Jesus was a son by position, but he was a human by manifestation. Now this is, this is the two worlds you're going to have to learn to live in. You're going to have to learn how to know your position as a son but to manifest as a human being. Jesus was the word made flesh. He is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. You and I are flesh that is being transformed into the world. John chapter one says that Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. I have a Jesus light, you have a Jesus light. Now we're gonna look in just a couple of minutes how we begin to let that light shine. Remember, let this mind be in you Son by position, 
human by manifestation. Now, as he did that, notice what the father did, verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, or as a result of that, as a result of Jesus knowing who he was, verse 5 and 6, manifesting as a, as a son, uh, appearing as a human, verse 7 and 8, God highly exalted him, it says uh, in verse 9, and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every name on heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue, verse 11, would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the Father furnished Jesus with the results. Jesus didn't have to do the results. The Father did the results. Jesus knew his position, verse 5, had the mind of, he had the mind of the eternal Christ, Jesus did, in verse 6, he understood his identity as divinity. Verse 7 and 8, he manifested it. And then verses 9, 10, and 11, the Father did the work. The Father did the work and gave him a name that was above every name. What Jesus did was very simple. He just went about fully aware of who he was, and he responded to the voice of the Father. He did nothing but what he saw the Father do. He spoke nothing but what he heard the Father say. That's all Jesus did. The Father furnished the results. Jesus had the mind of Christ, knew who he was, verse 6, manifested it, verse 7 and 8, and the Father furnished the results, verses 9, 10, and 11. So that, that, that Christ identity was secured in, in a human mind of Jesus right there. Do you, do you see that? The, 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 the Christ identity was secured in the human mind of Jesus. And that identity was secured at the baptism of Jesus. Look at this in, in uh, Luke chapter 3. Come back to the left just a little bit with me. Luke chapter 3. This is at the baptism of Jesus. I, I know you know what I'm going to tell you, but I want to say this anyway because of what I want to build on. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. This is where he, he really had the self-assurance, the confidence of who he was. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. <clears throat> and he began to say to them, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to Jesus and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. All right, that's, that's in Luke chapter 4. Now, I want you to get the identity in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open. Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove on Jesus. A voice from heaven said, and here's where his identity was established. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus heard that with his ears, heard the Father say that. You need to hear the Father say that either through my words or through his word to you or through scripture that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Once that is established, you can begin to, to, to build this manifestation thing. But that your identity has got to get established. Then immediately after that identity was established, we come to Luke chapter 4. And you know what happened there? He was driven. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness with an identity. He was not tempted till he had the identity. And we find in, in verse two that he underwent temptation about the identity. If you are the son of God, then do this, right? His mind is playing tricks on him. He's saying, if I'm the son of God, I've been fasting 40 days. If I'm God's son, I can turn these stones into bread. 
That's when he was tempted. He was tempted over his identity. He was tempted about who he was. And so he walks through the temptations, and that's not my teaching today, so I'm not going to go through those. But in verse 14, he left the, the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So in verse in verse 1, he was led by the Spirit into the, into the temptation. Verse 14, he comes out in the power of the Spirit. Now listen to me. Listen, it's going to help you. Anything that the Spirit leads you into, you will come out of a different person. The Spirit may, may well lead you into something, but if you will hold to your identity, keep the mind of Christ strong, when you come out of it, you won't, you won't come out just being led by the Spirit. You will be, in verse 14, you will come out in the power of the Spirit. Now we're starting to get down to where, now where I'm bringing you back down from 30,000, we're going to start looking closely here. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness. You understand he had his identity established, Luke chapter 2. His identity was challenged in, in Luke chapter uh, 4. Luke chapter 3, his identity was established in Luke chapter 4. Uh, his identity was challenged. He came out in the power of the Spirit. Now this, when, when you begin to emerge out of that situation, out of that difficulty, out of that tough time, and you hold strong, he ho upholds you. You know who you are. That identity holds you strong. You're not slipping because you know who you are. That's what held Jesus. He knew who he was, and he didn't come off of it. Now watch what happens in verse 15, after he comes out in the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit, verse 14, and it says, and he taught, let me, let me finish up verse 14. He came out in the power of the Spirit and went into Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. The news of Jesus, I mean, the Father was doing this. Jesus didn't have glossy brochures. He didn't have a web page. He didn't have a PR team. He had, the, he had nobody passing out brochures or, or you know, putting up billboards. The Father did a sovereign work of, of putting the name of Jesus. His fame began to spread. Now, God begins to open doors for Jesus. This is so good. Identity established, Luke 3. Identity challenged, verse 4. Comes out in the power of the Spirit, verse 14. His fame goes out, and the Father begins to open doors for him. Look at this, verse, verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He taught, everybody was on board with what he was doing. God opened doors he was, he was known with, without any advertising agency, no PR going for him. Now, now watch, how, how did he begin to walk out this God-ordained purpose? How did he do that? How did Jesus the man, how did Jesus the man begin to manifest the Christ who only did what the Father did, who only spoke what the Father spoke? How did this Jesus begin to fully reflect the Father? It's in the same way that you're going to begin to fully reflect Him. Listen to me. Listen to me. Because what He did, you can do and manifest it as well. Now stay right there, Luke chapter 4. We're not done by a long shot with that chapter. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, He said, The works that I do, you do. And He said, You'll even do greater works than I do. So let's work, let's look at how Jesus began to manifest himself from verses 15 through 21. All right? Now I'm getting down to where 
Monday morning, when your feet hit the ground, we're going to look at some things that fully manifested Jesus that you can begin to bring into your life that will fully manifest you. Now, just stay with me. Stay with me. Verse 15. He taught in the synagogues. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you, watch, watch what's written here. Because this is, Jesus is gonna tell you, this is what I do. This is how I manifest as a son. He said, first of all, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So he's anointed him. The, the, this word anointing, is not, it's not this mystical religious word. You know what anointing is? An anointing is a divine enablement. An anointing allows you to do what you can't do in your own strength. So Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has given me a divine enablement to do what I can't do. And I'm going to tell you what this anointing will do for me that I can't do myself. And I'm telling you on the digital cathedral this morning, I'm telling you what the anointing that resides in you will do for you that you cannot do for yourself. Here's Jesus manifesting. Here's Jesus saying, this is how I reveal myself. Are you ready? Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me, number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, proclaim liberty to the captives. Number four, recovery of sight to the blind. Number five, to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And number six, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now let's look at those six for just a minute. Why was, why was Jesus anointed? He was anointed to do these six things. These six things that he, that he said, I've come to do, you can do too. You can do every, every one of these six. He says, first of all, he said he sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, poor does not mean just that you don't have money. Poor means that you lack sufficiency in any area. You're barren. You're unprofitable. You have a lack. You have a need. You, 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 you don't have a, you know a sufficiency. You don't have enough. So the gospel is good news. So the good news to any, when you encounter somebody that is poor, that is, that is barren, that is, doesn't have sufficiency in, the, in any area, in any area, they have an inadequate supply. The, the message is, the gospel is, they don't have to be poor no more. They don't have to be poor, whether it's spirit, soul, or body. You can, you can teach them. You can minister to them the gospel, the good news. Jesus came so that you don't have to be poor no more, not just financially, although it covers that, but whatever area you have a lack in, emotionally, uh, physically, Jesus can make up the difference. And that's what we proclaim. That's how we begin to show sonship, first of all. He said, second of all, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now stay with me. The brokenhearted are people that have been devastated by the blows of life. They're shattered, no hope. Life has dealt them some bad blows. So he sends you to heal the brokenhearted, to encourage them, to bind the wounds up. Now, now it's not you doing this. Remember, the anointing does it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. You, when, you, when your feet hit the ground tomorrow morning, you need to say, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And when you, when you encounter somebody tomorrow that has, a, has a, a, a lack, is insufficient in some area, allow that anointing to encourage them. Let them know they don't have to live that way, that Jesus came to give an abundant life. And the anointing that is within you will help you to enable them to dig out of whatever it is that is causing the insufficiency. Heal the brokenhearted, encourage. Number three, he said to set, to set uh, at liberty the captives, people that are, are held in bondage uh, to religion, people that are held in bondage uh, to controlling forces, whatever they might be. He said, I have come to bring liberty to the captives. Part of the big ministry that you have is bringing liberty to those that are held captive in religion. Now, some of those that are held captive in religion are like the slaves that have come out of Egypt. They've come out so far, but then all of a sudden it gets a little bit tough. They want to go back to Egypt. So your job is to bring liberty to those captives, to lead them out of the bondage that they are in. And again, I stress, it's not you doing it. It's the anointing that you have within me. Jesus relied on the anointing. You can rely on the anointing, that divine enablement that, that empowers you to do what you cannot do yourself. He said, number four, I've come to bring recovery of sight to the blind. And you're gonna deal with a whole lot more people that are spiritually blind than physically blind. You are the light of the world. You turn the light on, the blind will see. The blind will come out of darkness. You have come to bring recovery of sight to the blind. You have the ability to flip the switch from off to on. You have, you have the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So does the person you're talking to. They just don't know it. Nobody's ever flipped their switch. Nobody has revealed to them. They've not seen it demonstrated. So that's why you're there. That's why you're living today. That's why you, God has developed you by you being a, a, a rebel, <laughs> one that has swum against the stream. You haven't been just like any dead fish that just floated down. You have been this unique person that has withstood against the tide in a lot of areas in your life. You've learned how to face conflict and overcome. You've, you've learned how to be knocked down and you still get up. And you're the person that God's using in this first wave. You're the Paul, you're the Timothy that's teaching others who will teach faithful men also. I hope you're catching this. And he said, number five, I've come to bring liberty to the oppressed. The person that has is oppressed in their mind. They have, you know, they have all kinds of snares. They have uh, leeches. They have uh, holds, ties, bonds on their minds. Uh, they're subject to forces that hold them mentally, physically, emotionally. You've come to to, to cut those ties, to to set the, those people that are oppressed out of oppression. So many people today are oppressed. When I look at these first five. I see our world is full of this kind of person and you and I have been sent to manifest as a son of God by preaching the gospel to the poor, by healing the brokenhearted, bringing liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, by bringing liberty to the oppressed. Do you understand how Jesus said, this is how I manifest. Then he said, the last thing is I proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know what that is? That was the year of Jubilee. That means everything should be reconciled back to the person that lost it. The Jubilee was the time of God's great restoration. It's the time of God's acceptance uh, of all, right? 
the restoration is here. The restoration is upon us. The reconciliation is here. We have been restored in our consciousness to everything that has been taken from us. Everything that has been deleted from us, it, it is back to us. So when, I, when we talk about being a manifested son of God, manifesting as Jesus did, what you have to understand, and I hope I've brought you this far in the digital cathedral, that you recognize that Christ is in you, always been in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have built you in one step after another to where you are this first, this first Sunday of July, where you are now, that you're ready to go out to the world and say, I'm preaching the gospel to the poor. It's not me. It's the anointing that resides within me, like it did Jesus. I'm here to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, the oppressed. I'm here to bring recovery of sight, recovery of sight to the blind. They don't see. They can see, but they just don't see. I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of reconciliation, the year of total debt cancellation. We, You owe God nothing. God has canceled every debt. It is a year of jubilee. See, manifesting as a son of God is when you can walk into chaos and bring peace. In fact, in fact, the biggest way right now in, in 2020 that you can manifest as a son of God is Matthew chapter five and verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You wanna manifest as a son of God? There's so much chaos in our world. There's so much hostility, so much anger, so much bitterness and bickering and fighting. You walk into that situation and through the anointing that resides in you, bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. It's a whole lot easier to keep the peace than it is to walk into a situation and make peace. I'm bringing this down to where you live. I'm bringing it down to where I live because we hear so much about manifesting as a son of God and, 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 and we generally put it out there uh, um, to where, where it means signs and wonders and miracles and walking on water and multiplying loaves and fishes and doing these impossible things. Well, I've given you six things plus being a peacemaker. Number, that'd be number seven, really. But I've, I've pulled six things out of, out of Philippians chapter two that Paul brings to the table and says, look, here's how Jesus said he manifests himself. Here's how Jesus makes himself evident. You want to manifest as a son of God, preach the gospel to the poor. You want to manifest as a son of God, heal the brokenhearted. You want to manifest as a son of God, bring liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Find somebody that is blind spiritually and open their eyes. That's manifesting as a son of God. Look, the, other, the, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the, you know, the, the lights, the fog, the, the, the whole light show, that's important. And, and I'm not downplaying that. But those six things, Jesus demonstrated. You know how he did it? In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, watch, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. You know what our minds have done to us? This is what Jesus healed. He healed things in the mind. Every one of those six things are what we would call works of an adversarial spirit. Being poor, brokenhearted, uh, a captive, blind, oppressed, 
feeling we're not reconciled. All those things are the work of an oppressor, are the work of, of what religion has come to call the devil, uh, Satan, the evil one, slufa, whatever, whatever, whatever phrase you want to put on it. And Jesus just went about doing what he did. He just went about his daily life. Nothing special, nothing ordinary. He didn't read an auditorium, didn't go to a coliseum. Jesus went about life. Listen, listen. He went about life and he just responded to the voice of the Father. Can you do that? I believe you can. See, manifesting as a son of God is not this difficult thing that we've, we've conjured up in our mind because we've heard so much about it. The signs and the wonders and the miracles are great. Matter of fact, let me say this. The signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus did all came out of one of these six. Check it out. When he, when he did the loaves and the fish, he was, he was bringing recovery of sight to the blind. He was teaching all day. When, when Jesus walked on the water to go out to the, to the disciples, they were fearful. When he was sleeping in the back of the boat, they were fearful. He was, he was bringing liberty to the oppressed. He was bringing liberty to guys that were bound up and he performed a miracle. He stopped the sea. He fed multitudes out of five loaves and two fish, but they came out of these six. Do you understand this? They came out of these six that I'm teaching you. I think as we give ourselves. Like Jesus said, I've, I've, I didn't come to be served, I've came to serve. So as you and I serve, these are ways we serve. These are very practical ways that we serve. As we serve out of these ways, can I tell you what? The signs, the wonders, and the miracles will come. We have, we have ran after the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. We have, we, have, we have wanted those. And I believe the spirit of truth today is showing, he's showing me yeah, I'm going to work signs and wonders and miracles. I am. But they're going to come out of these things here as I give myself to manifesting the way that Jesus manifested. Signs, the wonders, and the miracles are great. But we get hung up on the miracles. We get hung up on those things. That's not where the manifestation comes from. The manifestation comes out of meeting the needs of people. You can manifest as a son beginning today. If you haven't, if you've put that thing off, if you've put the manifestation just on the back burner, you said, I, I don't really get it. I don't understand it. Well, I've laid out for you today, very simply, very concisely, how Jesus lived. If you want to be as he is in this world, preach the gospel to the poor. You want to be as he is in this present world, heal the brokenhearted, bring liberty to the captives, open up some blind eyes. Get a hold of an oppressed person that is under bondage in their minds and their emotions and set them free. Let them know they've been reconciled, that this is the year of Jubilee. Spiritually, there's no debts. You're, you're relieved from all of your debts. You can manifest sonship. You can counter every box that the world tries to put people in through the anointing that is within you. All right? Let's begin to manifest. God has placed the digital cathedral here to teach us how to manifest his sons, that we in turn might teach others how to manifest as well. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm giving myself to what Jesus gave himself to. I'm not so much worried about the signs and wonders and the miracles, but I do want to get a hold of an oppressed, spiritually blind, poor person and let them know the freedom that they can have and experience now the abundant life that Jesus came.
you and I are to be as he is in this present world, and that's how Jesus was. You got it? All right, let's walk it out. Let's, let's begin to manifest it, and let's see where he takes us from here. This is just part of the journey, you guys. We're just entering into the journey, but I've brought us this far. Christ in us, we, everything we've learned, everything we've discovered, everything we've taught is to bring you up to this point to see that you fully can be as Jesus is in this present world when we do what Jesus did. Jesus said we do it. He said greater works we do, but these works are the works of Jesus. Let's, let's get doing these, amen? All right, Father, I just pray right now that you'd open up doors this week like we've never seen before to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken heart, to set at liberty the captives. Father, this week that we might manifest as sons by bringing recovery of sight to the blind and setting the oppressed absolutely free. And Father, may we shout from the housetops the year of jubilee, the year of reconciliation, the recovery of all that we have lost. Father, we thank you today that you're bringing us to a place where we can see this world begin to bow its knee to the kingdom. How we need the peacemakers, Father. Send us out as peacemakers in this world. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If you agree with that, can you give me a good amen right from your house? Amen? All right, God bless you. We'll catch you next time on the Digital Cathedral.